Hello and welcome to the On the Horizon podcast coming at you from Dean Studios. We are an extension of Horizon Church, a relationally driven, socially conscious, Jesus-centered church located in the heart of Towson, Maryland. I'm your host, Ryan Casey, and today we're going to be doing a partner spotlight on Araminta, specifically talking to Alicia McDowell about her journey as the executive director. Alicia, I'm so grateful that you were able to join me this morning. Thanks, Ryan. I'm glad to be here. So we're getting this like raw, like uh, Alicia just retired. I guess it's not retired. <laughs> Everyone keeps Transition. saying that. It makes me feel really old. <laughs> yeah, you're like done, right? You're just going to coast done, for the rest of life. Done. Yeah, I actually got a card in the mail from a friend that had like a surfers on the front with bo- with surfboards that said board meeting at 10 tomorrow. Happy retirement. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, first day of not working for Araminta, which is wild. And so we're going to kind of talk about the journey and your feelings and I was joking with uh, our mutual friend, Allison, who's a counselor. She's like, this could turn into like a live counseling session. It really could. It feels a little surreal. So you're probably going to get a lot of my processing of, of what, what actually just happened. I love that. I mean, now I have to say I'm not a certified counselor in any way, shape or form, but we may have a listener who is. So <laughs> maybe you'll get some follow up. great. <laughs> no, it's so exciting to have you here. Tell me a little bit. Of, I mean, for everybody else out there to know a little bit about your journey. Like, where are you from? So I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, Steelers country. So it's been really interesting living in Baltimore for the last 15 years. Absolutely. So grew up in Steelers country, went to E-Town, right? E-Town, yep. Elizabethtown College in Lancaster. And then actually what brought me to Baltimore was grad school uh, at Mm -hmm. the University of Maryland at Baltimore. That's where I got my master's in social work and met our friend Allison, who ultimately introduced us. That's right. Put us on a literal friend date. It's true. It's very true. I think you guys would be good friends. Well, actually, the first time we met was when was at Saranac when I worked right. for Young Life, okay. and you came into the office. But then, which then... on her bidding again, she wanted me to meet her friend Alicia, who worked at Saranac. Exactly, and then when we both quit our jobs at Young Life and moved to Baltimore again, then she set us up on our our first friend date when we dived into all of the the deep parts of life and didn't know the basics about one another. That's right. That's right. I would always joke about people just say, "Where did she go to college?" I'm like, you know, I don't even know the basic stuff. I just know. Really, like our both of our deepest fears. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. So, okay. So, what did you major in in college? I want to know. Obviously, not executive directorship. <laughs> no. So, yeah, college was really interesting. I went into college thinking that I was going to follow kind of into the into my the medical world. I was looking at being a physical therapist oh, wow. and started that. I didn't and, know that about things yeah, that I know. About you. I know. Cool. See, basic yeah. basics. Um, so I started as majoring in biology and it just wasn't, it just wasn't really clicking. And, um, and then I took an elective class in social work and this incredible professor, um, I just really loved it and really engaged a lot in the class. I was that girl that talked right. too much that everyone else hated. And um, so she, you know, came up to me and said, what's your major? And I told her it was biology and, you know, I was on this track and she just looked at me and very frankly said, you're in the wrong major. Wow. <laughs> you're supposed to be a social worker. Hmm. And I just kind of laughed it off, but she just really actually like fully pursued me and was like, I see something in you. I really feel like you should be in social work. Would you just agree to take one more elective social work class before thinking about this? And so I'm really grateful for her influence because that obviously changed the trajectory of my life and then now the trajectory of a lot of others. And so, um, I switched to social work and then, um, quickly decided to get my master's in social work. And that's again, what brought me to Baltimore. Um, I did end up going 
back to the medical field and that I, for several years, I did medical sales, which was um, at the time I thought just a means to the end to go to law school to be a human rights attorney. But as I say, through God's providence and my procrastination, that never happened and Araminta did instead. So, <laughs> so yeah, so you came down, you were working as a social worker, right? I was. So I, when I was here in grad school, I... Um, basically four days a week worked at um, a residential center for children and specifically for girls, um, for six to 12 year old girls who had been sexually abused. Mm. And so um, I had previously worked in the foster care system in Pennsylvania. Um, and so that kind of started my trajectory with abused um, women and, and um, children. And so, um, yeah. And then I took another career change and went on staff with Young Life right. for a little bit. And right. then after that, um, I worked at one of their camps for a year and a half and then moved back to Baltimore after that. Wow. Well, why back to Baltimore? You know, I one of the best parts of Baltimore is that I have always just had incredible community here. Um, it was... God was just really gracious to me um, in when I moved here, I, I didn't know anyone. And right. I had worked at the, the Young Life Camp, Saranac, yeah. for the summer before, I, in between college and grad school that I moved here and um, met some just people who lived in Baltimore and said, you know, when you get here, call us. And, um, you know, our friend Allison was mm. one of the first people I met through some of those connections that I made at Young Life Camp. I... Um, showed up at a dinner that a friend that I met at the Young Life Camp, you know, I called him and I said, I literally don't know anybody. And he was like, great, come out to dinner with some friends. And I remember sitting at the table feeling completely out of place, you know, and I'm not, I'm generally not nervous in situations, but I was new to the city. I didn't know anybody. And I was pretty quiet at that dinner. And Allison, you know, just got up from the other end of the table, came and sat down next to me and basically declared that we were going to be friends and, um, which I really loved. And we found out we were in grad school together. And, um, and so the next day I was in my apartment by myself and, um, I was, very tempted to call an ex-boyfriend, which would have not been a good decision because right, right. he was the only person I knew in Baltimore. <laughs> and just as I was about ready to pick up the phone to call him, Allison called me and she was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, mm. oh, you know, I'm just hanging out. And she goes, OK, I'm coming over and I'm bringing people, which is <laughs> if you know Allison. <laughs> but the most amazing thing about that was she really um, just really lived out you know, an example of how Christ calls us to, to do community and essentially change the trajectory of my life because mm-hmm. it was at that point that I chose Christian community um, over, you know, another life. Yeah. And and so that has what is, you know, what has always kept me in Baltimore is great Christian community. That's amazing. You know, it's really funny because one of the first times I met all of your friend group was because Allison invited me to your birthday party, even though we had met once, I think. Right. <laughs> so it's just, I, you shared that blessing by having me come to your birthday party and get to hang out with a lot yeah. of people. And uh, But that's, I mean, it's really, it is amazing how this group of people that you've known and that we've kind of known mutually has really connected each other and really carried a lot of weight through some big issues in life together, which has been really cool. Yeah, it's so funny when people who don't know Baltimore, um, you know, have a certain perception of Baltimore, like, why, why do you live there, you know, and obviously we all who live in, (laughs) all of us who who know, you know, what, why I've lived here for so long is just exactly Mm -hmm. that because of community and people who have loved me really well through Mm -hmm. lots of different seasons. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, okay. So you're living in Baltimore, you're working down here, you start working in the medical sales profession, but like, how did human trafficking like come on your radar? 
Yeah. So I um I think when I was a when I was a young social worker, I went into like direct counseling, direct um, case management type work, and I just realized I think I was so young and I didn't understand my personality and my giftings, and um, so I had this passion for people, um, but didn't realize that my gifting was more. Um, in what, what, what in the social work world we call a macro level. So changing systems mm. to affect the individual. Um, and so as I started to realize that, I really kind of thought, you know, and people started speaking into, well, you'd be a great attorney. You should actually, you know, consider going into human rights law. Right. And so my, that ultimately was my desire, but I didn't have the money to go back to law mm. school. So someone was like, well, you have a great personality. Just go into medical sales and work for a pharmaceutical company, yeah. and they'll pay for you to go to law school, mm. um, which would have been true. But yeah. I literally, as I said, through my procrastination and, and God's providence, never went. But during that time when I was in medical sales, I just kind of kept a pulse on what was going on in just different different justice issues, specifically with um, things around abuse of women mm. and children. And so... Um, during that time is when human trafficking really started to gain more understanding from an international perspective. And so I started following like international justice mission. Um, I had gone to a women's conference and Sarah Groves um, was an artist who represented them and spoke on it. And my heart just kind of came alive as I heard yeah. her talk about that and recognized that there was this connection between what I had been doing in um, social work and what they were talking about on an international level. So I just started to follow the anti-trafficking movement, which was so focused internationally. Um, but for me, I had actually seen child trafficking when I was working in foster care and at different places. And so really, um, as I just process that, um, what Tim Keller starts to, to call a, a holy discontent started to rise up in me to say, you know, people are talking about this internationally, mm -hmm. but they're not talking about the fact that it's happening here. Yeah. Um, and so that's really how trafficking came on my radar and started this this internal process for me of what what is God calling me to in this? Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've told retold your story about the how, how what it looked like in the foster care system and mm -hmm. how you kind of saw that and how it broke your heart when you were able to connect the dots about like what the parents were doing to mm -hmm. their child. That's just I mean, and you introduced me to the issue. So like yeah. uh, we, the, that night at Grace, like there was a, a great city downtown. Tell us about that night. Yeah. You had you kind of put this together. Well, and so I think my kind of how my personal story starts to to connect with the, the story of founding Araminta was uh, my best friend who. Um, just has been so faithful to me through the years, kind of challenged me and said, you know, you're supposed to do something more with this. And I want to start praying with you about what mm. that looks like. So she and wow. I actually started praying together um, almost every week for what God would call me to. Um, and so that actually was really the start of Araminta. That's amazing. Um, which I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I started Grace Fellowship, the church that I was going to at the time, started a city campus called Grace City. And so when I went there, um, just really connected with the pastors, Bob and Corey. And um, they were really talking about how the church wanted to discover what they were going to intentionally be about outside of the four walls. And so I had coffee with Bob and started talking to him. And I said, you know, are you familiar with the issue of human trafficking? And he was... Um, internationally because he had sponsored a child in Nicaragua that was was trafficked and mm. so we just started having the conversation about what does it look like here and I just said to him I was like you know this is a, a new emerging movement and specifically here in the United States nobody's really talking about this mm. and nobody's talking about it in the church how can the church be involved in domestic human trafficking and 
I just, he has also changed, changed my life because, um, you know, I was, I think 28 at the time and this young, wide eyed, very, um, uh, blissfully naive (laughs) to (laughs) what it takes to do something like this. But he was so encouraging. He saw, um, you know, I think he saw the giftings that God had given me and just called them out and said, I'm behind you. I'm for Mm. you. Like, let's start talking about this as a church. And I said, you know, it can't just be our church. Mm. And he was like, well, do you know of other churches who would want to be involved? And that enters Ryan and Horizon. (laughs) So um, I, um, because of our friendship and walking through life together, reached out to you and said, hey, do you think this is something that Horizon would want? And Mm. so um, we decided to bring in a friend of mine who um, did worship nights around raising awareness around human trafficking. And I, you know, said, hey, Horizon, come on down. And That's right. we hosted that at Grace City in, I believe it was like early 2010. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, the next the next day, lots of people came to the worship night. Their hearts were moved. And the next day, the question was, well, what do we do now? Yeah. And there wasn't an answer for that. Well, and, and speaking from someone who was just there and exposed to it really that night. I mean, like I, I you you had been doing all this research and your heart had been on a journey you know, I, I felt like I kind of was like hit in the face with like a bat. I was like, this, I can't believe this. It's like where your brain wants to like say that's not really possible. And like, if it is possible, like how can you, how is, how are humans just so evil? You know, it's just like, right. like there's just all these things that you're dealing with. And it's like uh, one of the things, and I, I think it's important to put out there because I want to talk about how this affected you long range later, but mm-hmm. there's just a weight to the issue. Like it was yeah. exhausting to think about. I, I mean, like, I remember like, like leaving home at night and I just being so tired and then getting up the next morning to have breakfast and leaving the breakfast and being so tired about like mm-hmm. my brain spinning at a million miles a second, trying to think, how can this exist? If it does exist, what can we do about it? I don't know anything that's like that we could do that could possibly affect that. And you're just like tired thinking yourself almost like in a circle, you know? Yeah, it's definitely exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> and it does get easier yeah. the more you well, I'm not. That's actually not true. There gets, it, there's really hard parts, but I would say um, the day to the the day to minute by minute exhaustion that we felt yeah. in the beginning. You grow a capacity for that, but I would that's say overall, right. you know, encountering yeah. acts of um, really hard areas where there's darkness and evil and injustice, it it, it is exhausting. Yeah. And you know, so there's so we can talk about that. But uh, yeah, no, that's exactly <laughs> so. right. I, I remember, and we'll, we'll talk more about like what we started to do, but mm-hmm. not just. I don't want to focus too much on the origins because. I want it to be more about your journey. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think that's a whole other great podcast for me to get together and talk about the origins again. Like, it's always mm-hmm. great to retell that story. But I'm more interested in like what this, what it was like for you, because you know I know what it was like for me. But like, I think what everybody would love to hear is like, so in these early days, as like you know, what stirred, like, what about the issue stirred you so deeply? Like, what kept you walking into that fire and that weight? Yeah, you know, and I think I've been processing this a lot as as I as I'm exiting my formal yeah. role and. Um, and and really, it comes back to just this. Um, at, at at the core, you know, each of us have our identity um, and and who God says we are, mm. um, and then out of that comes a calling. And um, and so for me, um, a lot of people would say, "Well, your calling was Araminta," and I would say that was a, an assignment of my right. calling. And I so really, I think that that um, as I really 
wrestled with my identity and continue to wrestle with my identity, a lot of that is um, what is my worth and my value? Mm. And how do I then, out of my calling, what I've learned from that and from this place of having that be redeemed in the Lord, how do I then help other women and children who have experienced incredible abuse, incredible devaluing of their worth and value, give them the true message of what their value is? And so essentially my personal calling to help women identify with that and stand in that and children who have been abused because there's nothing that steals someone's identity and worth more than sexual abuse. Hmm. Um, it, it reaches into the core of who we are, our sense of safety, our sense of value, hmm. our sense of worth. It twists and, tur- and, and turns who God says we are and hmm. because it, it's, a, it's an integration and an attack on um, not only our bodies, but yeah. our souls and our minds, um, our, our, our sense of community, our sense of safety, all of that. And so I think that um, really for me, it was essentially entering into that place of saying, how do I help women and children who have experienced such extreme abuse understand that that is not their worth and Mm -hmm. that is not their value and the lies that come from that. Um, I've never heard somebody say that before, but it registers as true, like immediately, like a soul level that mm -hmm. like, you know, sexual abuse is like one of the deepest distortions of, and Mm -hmm. I think also, and you can speak more to this than I could, but even like about how it disrupts what you know love to be right like you know like could you say something Mm -hmm. about that or yeah and you know and and just to clarify I think a lot of people um ask me why did you start Araminta and a lot of times they immediately go to well you were trafficked or you were sexually abused or had something well a lot of people who work in this field that is their story that is their story and that actually Mm -hmm. isn't my story but from a very young age I was exposed to Mm. that I remember um just being in um first grade actually and it was the first time that I had heard the word sex and there was a young girl in my class who social services came to take out of class because she had been sexually abused and and our our class was trying to understand what we were hearing going on and I remember her being um very isolated by other kids but yet my heart just didn't understand what was happening but Mm. broke and I think later as I've been able to process that and kind of became her little advocate and my mom actually talks a lot about um Mm. how you know I she was she just showed up to school not having the right clothes and things like that and how I wanted to give her my clothes for this Christmas you know um play that we had and so I think that was the heart of God in me at a really Mm. early age saying I'm going to give you this unique passion for this Mm. because there's something in you even though you don't understand knows it's not right and you know that I have a heart for this and so I think that that just developed over years and and then also just really becoming a woman who understood gender disparity Mm. and violence against women and um you know uh sexual harassment against women that's part of my story and so I think as God God kind of my story of witnessing that pain um, he also just made me to be somebody who can't stay silent in the face Mm. of that pain and so um, so you know I've obviously walked a lot of really painful journeys in being a woman myself and out of that place of of wrestling through that with God came this ability to say how do I now give this to other women Um, and so I can't remember your original question, but that's how, that's essentially <laughs> how, that's, that's the essence of how Araminta came out of absolutely. my story. So. Yeah. I think I asked something about like, um, how the distortion of love can like yes. mess with someone. Um, oh yes. Yeah. Great. That's a great question. Um, so I think that, um, a lot of times, um, in sexual abuse or in trafficking, um, 
a lot of people think with trafficking specifically that it's physical force or coercion, and that's definitely a piece of it. But what we mainly see is actually the psychological distortion mm. of love. Um, a trafficker will find what a woman or child is desperately searching for, and usually that's love and connection and community. Yeah. And they pretend to become that, but then distort that. And oh. so I think with both sexual abuse and sexual trafficking, it essentially... Um, is this grooming of trying to meet this unmet need and yeah. then distorting that in order to exploit. And so I think that um, what essentially happens in both sexual abuse and sexual trafficking is th that love gets redefined yeah. um, to what it is not. And right. I think that um, what I love about being a Christ-centered organization who's standing against trafficking is at the end of the day, when we're talking about freedom, we're talking about a freedom from a mis a, a misunderstanding of love. And mm. that ultimately, um, it's just such a paradox in that they are bought and sold for their bodies and mm. for, for what they are told they are worth from a commercial standpoint of, around their bodies. But the truth is, is that the king of the universe came and mm. laid his life down and died for them to buy them back. Mm. And that is true freedom. That yeah. is true love. And so having that ability to counter these messages of distorted love in mm. no love is love is self-sacrificial. Like the ultimate wow. love is self-sacrificial, right. not selfish and doesn't take from you and doesn't steal from you and doesn't, doesn't put a price on you. The price actually on you was the life of, of of our father and mm. his son and so um so i love that 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 we were able to stand in that truth yeah. um even if we never got to speak it yeah it was the, it was the place that it was coming from and Absolutely. we knew that it, we knew that through the holy spirit that that message would come forth I, I just think that's so profound this is totally like off track a little bit from like what well, it is and it isn't you know it's all part of the story but like that's such a hard thing to rebuild like you know mm -hmm. and and i that's what i think i'm so proud of with what Araminta does is they go through that journey because if it you know when it when love doesn't take or like you know it's mm -hmm. it doesn't like just you can't just restructure someone's thinking about that overnight you have to walk with them painfully as mm -hmm. they fall back into the old patterns and fall back into the old patterns and fall back in the old patterns and Araminta was built to and because of people like you like weather those storms yeah. you know what I mean like which is just amazing absolutely and I think you know it's been really special this week now you might start to get to th get the tears um, <laughs> i'm getting choked up just thinking about it myself so i, I don't know um, how you're holding it together i um got to spend time with a couple of the survivors that i have a closer relationship with um and just saying saying goodbye yeah. and um i was sitting with one of them at lunch and she just has this beautiful ability to to share her heart and um she said to me um you know, she, she was talking about other services she had received and she goes, I, that kind of, as we talked about when we founded the organization, don't really model true care and love. And so she said, she was like, you know, the reason why I have, I, I chose to stay with Araminta, she was like, because you really care. Mm. She was like, you show up a time and time again. She was like, mm. I remember. And she mentioned this one day that, that, you know, was really, really hard and, you know, a really a, a crucial point in her life. And she was you know, you and the other staff literally stopped everything and shut down the office, canceled all of your meetings to take care of me that day. Wow. And she goes, and that's what it means to be truly cared about. Mm. I knew that I was always cared about and loved at Araminta. Wow. And, and she was like, and that happened time and time again. Mm. And you showed up for me. And I just, 
you know, I, I couldn't hold it back. I just yeah, lost it at that course, point. And yeah. I just said to her, I said, that's what, that's what we always hmm. wanted. And I, I said to her, I go, that's why we founded Araminta hmm. eight years ago is to hear you say that, to hear yeah. you know that you are loved and cared for and that, that we are here for you. And, um, it was, it was so amazing. I like, you know, dropped her off and got back in the car and you know, God has really spoken to me through worship music through this journey. Hmm. I get in the car and the first song that comes on is no longer a slave. And I just, <laughs> I was like, I'm done in the car <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's, I, it's just mm. the reality of the mm. fact that like, in that song is we are no longer slaves because of what God's done for us. And now she is literally and physically and emotionally no longer a slave because wow. of what God has chosen to do through Araminta. And I couldn't, you know, of all the hard moments, they all wash away in that moment when mm. you recognize like, look what, look what God did in her mm. life. So I mean, I just love how from the beginning to, and this is a lot of your mentorship to the rest of us, like um, understanding like the, the worth and the value and the need for like the survivors to be one called survivors, not victims. Mm -hmm. And two, to start to understand their worth and what they bring to the table too. how quickly mm -hmm. they, I, I just, I just love that. I love that she is standing in her own strength and like, because the Lord has let set her yeah. free and like, that's just amazing. Oh my gosh. They're so resilient. Yeah. That's like the one <laughs> thing that I, you know, we walk a really, um, really careful line with Araminta. Um, and this is something that, um, you know, when you're doing ministry with people, when you're serving people who walk in our community, protecting their stories, their mm -hmm. identities, their, um, their confidentiality is, is always tricky because people want to know the stories, but yeah. we also need to make sure that we're not re-exploiting them in order yeah. to support the organization. So hmm. it's hard because people don't get to hear a lot of the stories, know, yeah. but they're just so incredibly resilient. And that's mm. one of it been one of the greatest gifts to us as staff who do get to know them as we get to see that time and time again. I so, was on the phone with a, uh, another survivor who just had some things come up this week where she, she was concerned because she was like, you, it's your, it's your last day and I'm not going to get to see you because of sickness. And, and I said, I was like, we'll, we'll work it out. Don't worry. You know? And, um, but she said to me, she was like, you know, last night I was just up and I'm saying, God, like, I don't know if I could take one more thing. I just can't take it. You got to show up. And so, you know, and even just in that conversation, like five years ago, that wouldn't have been her go-to. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and now it is. And yeah. so, you know, I wow. said to her, I said, you know what, God is going to show up. He shows up, he, you know, yeah. it might not be how we think it is, but you know, hmm. he has, and he has a time, time again. And I was like, and guess what? You show up too. Yeah. And I'm like, you've persisted through so much. Mm. And so I think that's just, I mean, that's just the incredible joy of what I've gotten to witness that nobody else will. And I think those are the moments that I'm the most proud of are the mm. moments that nobody else is really going to get to see where we get to see them thriving, not because they're independent now, but because they've become interdependent in community where yeah. they've know they know their own strength and they know that they're supported by others who yeah. are going to walk beside them and so um we can't mm. advertise those moments right. but those are the moments where i feel like i just hold those so close to my heart as i walk away well and that's that brings us back to the love thing like interdependence is so important because they they all their all their healthy like connections were broken down to get them into the place that they're at and to rebuild trust and to rebuild the ability to love again to rebuild establish a healthy interdependence is such a journey to get them so that's amazing yeah. that they start to be connected to God to each other and to have and to healthy people in their life who care about them yeah it's amazing and I think um, we really at Aramanta talk a lot like you know uh, there's 
there's such a, um, you know, and obviously there's re- this comes from really healthy places of talking about independence because they're coming from a place of codependence. But we've right. actually stopped using that word mm. and we talk about interdependence. Mm. And it's where your independence becomes thriving in community of interdependence because none of us were created to do life alone. And that's something yeah. that we've we've said to them of like, you know, even if you look at some of us who grow up with healthy families mm. and had all that, we didn't we didn't self-create ourselves we did it in community Mm. like we had parents we had people who came alongside of us and now we are replacing what you should have had in community by doing that with you and it's not because you can't do it on your own it's because none of us can do it on our own and that's what we're you know and that's what we're created for and I think that that's created a really healthy place for them to understand like this is my own strength but I'm also doing it in community yeah that's awesome Alicia yeah Thank you so much for joining us for part one of our Spotlight on Araminta with Alicia McDowell. Please listen to part two in order to catch the rest of the interview.